everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into the tactical side of Major League Soccer. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and today's show is a wide-ranging interview with one of the most interesting and youngest coaching figures in American soccer, FC Cincinnati's Johan Dame. In the interview, I ask Johan about his unique career pathway, Cincinnati's recently developed soccer philosophy, scouting reports on three of their newest and most high-profile signings, and much, much more. I am here with Johan Dame. Johan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate you carving up a little bit of time in your schedule. Thanks for having me. I'm hoping to sort of walk us through your background and your relatively unique career path from your upbringing all the way to now. So to start out, can you tell us a little bit about your background growing up in France? What was it that got you into soccer in the first place? I got into uh, into soccer in uh, in 1998. Uh, I was eight at the time, and uh, and the World Cup was in France. And and to be honest, from what my dad told me, uh, I wasn't really kicking the ball around before before that time. But uh, the World Cup being in France and like this big big atmosphere like around the national team and and also the fact that the national team won the World Cup that year uh, was something quite special. So I found myself getting into it like. Uh, during during that time and like enjoying it and like I found myself like watching the final and like being emotional about it being emotional about like the the, the French national team like winning the World Cup so uh, I got into into it at uh, this time so the following year I uh, started playing since then like uh, I never uh, I never uh, this this passion like uh, kept uh, kept growing so I've been enjoying it since uh, since that time. But somewhere along the line, after you began playing, you realized that your soccer career wouldn't be as a player, correct? How did that click in your head, and how did you realize that maybe your future wasn't actually within the lines of the field? Yeah, so I started to play when I was eight. I played uh, until I was uh, 20, 21, 22. Uh, but like when I was 15, I got the opportunity to uh, to 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 go to what they call like a sports study section. So it's basically uh, like you can go in class, but you have a special schedule that allow you to train like during the day. So you would go to school in the morning. We would train like uh, midday and then go back to school in the afternoon. And that year, like I realized that I was like. Is, is it worth for me to keep pushing? Because I knew that I, w- I was not going to make it as a, as a professional player. And, uh, and I got lucky enough to, uh, to, to, to meet, uh, coaches on my, on my journey as a player that inspired me. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I'd like to give back. I'd like to, to start coaching. I'd like to start like taking care of the, the young players in the club. So. Uh, when I was 16, I took uh, I took that way, and that was also the time in school where they start asking you, hey, what do you want to do about your life? So for me, that was a big decision to make, and I was like, you know what? Like I really enjoy like coaching and teaching, and and I'd like to to make it for a living. So I decided that I wanted to become a, to become a coach. Uh, I knew uh, it would be a, a very difficult path. Uh, I knew, uh, especially considering my age, considering. Uh, uh, me not playing as a professional player, uh, it would be a struggle. But uh, but I took my chance and uh, and I just uh, I just decided to to start working as hard as possible to to get where I wanted to be. Talking about the difficulties that come with coaching while not having that background as a professional player, have you dealt with criticisms from people who think that because you haven't played professionally that you don't know what you're talking about? It's not that you you deal with with criticism. It's more like people are a bit perplexed about you like being able to make it they they, they think you're gonna miss something 
and and they don't really believe that by working out, by like searching, like by experimenting on the field, you can you can reach that level. Uh, so I'd say for me, it's always been like a source of motivation. Like uh, I want I wanted to prove people wrong, and I wanted to uh, to believe in myself and to invest in myself. So like I invested a lot of time. I made a lot of sacrifices. Uh, I have an open mind, so I keep, I keep searching and, and, and I have no choice than to get better every day. So that's my mindset. That was my mindset at the time, still is today. Uh, I know I have to compensate that part of, of the game that I don't have by, by spending more time working and like looking for information and experimenting on the field and, and trying different stuff. And that's just the way it is for me. Like it's more a source of motivation, I'd say. It's more difficult on, on the administrative side, like, uh, as you know, like adding your, your badges, like your, your professional badges is something very difficult when you haven't been a pro. And for me, like I still struggle. So I have my, uh, my AUFA license. I did the same in Canada and now I'm trying to get into, uh, into the pro license because that's the path I want to follow. And, and that would be for me, like the, the last badge I can, uh, I can get. Uh, so this, has been a bit more difficult to uh, to get uh, an approval to enter like this type of uh, of coaching uh, coaching classes. So I, I'm still struggling today, but but it, it's part of the game. It's it's like this. Like it's never been easy. It's never gonna be, and, uh, and I have to keep working my way up. So going back to your time in France, what was your first break as a coach? What was your first coaching job? The first coaching job was actually in 2006. Uh, I was 16 at the time. Uh, that was my, uh, the club of the, of the city I was living in. Uh, I was, I was helping with the U12, U13. Uh, I wasn't really like in charge of a team full time, like that I was following on the game, but I was like there for every training, starting to, uh, to coach, starting to, to run training sessions. And just, and from that point it went on. So like I took a team after and, uh, and I got the opportunity to move uh, from, from, from that club to a club that played a little higher to another club that played, uh, that played a professional level and then to Canada and then to, to, to Cincy. So I got, I got lucky enough to be able to move up like all the time when I change club, when I change structure, uh, to get a different type of experience and, and, and get to coach like different type of players with different ages and, and experience different things. You mentioned moving from France over to Canada. How did that opportunity for you to coach in North America with Montreal come about in the first place? Oh, that's a, that's a long story. So <laughs> back in 2000 and, uh, back in 2008 or 2000, yeah, 2008, uh, a Canadian player came to, came to France. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to, to make tryouts in, uh, in professional club. But for the moment, he was, uh, he, he wasn't 18, so he couldn't, like, find a club because of this, uh, this rule, like, of the, of the FIFA that you cannot play for another club, uh, outside your country if you're not 18 or if your parents are not getting a job in the same, in the same country. So, so he was, he was with us during that period and, uh, and we became friends and the, the following summer in 2019, he, uh, he said, Hey, you, if you want to come to, uh, if you want to come to, uh, to Canada and, and visit, like, uh, I would love to, to show you around and, uh, and give you a tour of, uh, of Montreal. And so I, I went there in 2019 and really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed the, the culture, really enjoyed the city, really enjoyed my time over there. So 
I really fell in love with uh, with the, the city and, uh, and and the culture and, and and people. So I decided to go back every summer. So 2019, 2020, uh, sorry, 20, uh, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. That was the time I I really like enjoy my time. Like, that was vacation time for me, but that was also the time to meet people, uh, people that were involved in uh, in football. And, and to, to create some connection and some, some friendship. And, uh, in 2013, a friend that I met at the time that wasn't working for Motion Impact when I met him, uh, was working for them for, uh, for one or two years at, at into 2013 and, and gave me a call and say, Hey, there is this job opening and I know that you're in France and you're basically working for free in a professional club and this is an opportunity for you to, uh, to do it for a living like would you be interested to apply for the position like uh, we were supposed to make recommendation to the club and then for sure you have to go through the interview and you have to be uh, to be good for for us to bring you in but uh would you be interested in doing the interview and i was like yeah for sure like for me that was a, an amazing opportunity just to be able to get on a call with the academy director and uh went through the interview uh, process and uh, everything went well and uh and philippe lafroy the the academy director decided to to bring me in. So uh, in February, I uh, I packed my two bags and uh, jumped on the flight and uh, and make my way uh, to 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 Canada. So then, after coaching in Montreal, you moved to the United States to become an assistant coach with FC Cincinnati. What made you want to make that move after coming from France to Canada? What made you want to move from Canada with Montreal to the U.S. with Cincinnati? And how did that opportunity come about? For me, it's always been a question of do you want to stay on your, in your comfort zone or do you want to start, do you want to keep developing like your, your skill set, your tools? Uh, and, and for me, that was like firstly the, the move in, in Canada. Like I didn't move in Montreal to, to be a, a full-time uh, head coach. Like I moved to like by doing different sorts of, of job with the academy. Uh, so you have to accept sometimes like to, to move, to create something different that you don't have. And, and when that opportunity came, uh, to, to move in the U S I was in a very good situation in Montreal. Things were going well and like I enjoyed the challenge, the academy and like, I was doing a very good job and the project was really interesting and there was some stability. Like my life was over there. So to move for a, a job, which gives you like, much more uncertainty because we all know it in, in professional football, like the, the, the long term and the stability doesn't exist. So to, to take on that challenge was more like related to the, to the club's ambition. Uh, I knew by the time the club, uh, was in its first year in, uh, in USL, they were doing well. Like the, the, the fan base was amazing. Uh, the club was ambitious, wanted to, to move into, uh, into the MLS. So. Like that was, that was quite interesting on the, on the sporting side. And, uh, and on the personal side, like moving from the academy and coaching U19, uh, which are like younger adults, but like coaching like professional players and coaching in, uh, in a foreign language, uh, English for me, like was a big, big challenge to leave everything and, uh, and to take a big risk and to go coach in a, in a different language and to go coach professional players. And, and I was like, okay, I think that that's a great opportunity. Like I, I used to stay in French, like the, the, the train only comes once, uh, which means like when the opportunity comes, like if you think it's the right thing to do and, and you believe in the project and you believe in the, in the big picture, 
uh, of what it's gonna bring to you and what you can bring to that project, you should you should go for it. So I just decided at the time to uh, to to come over here and uh, and uh, and I've been nothing but but fortunate since then. I think it's been a, it's been a grind. It's been a, a lot of uh, ups and downs, but uh, but I, I learned a lot and I keep learning a lot. And uh, and I think. What I thought I was gonna find in Cincinnati, an ambitious club, an ambitious city with a strong community, that's really what I what I found when I uh, when I arrived. So that uh, it's been it's been great. So you talked about it already, working with adults for the first time, professional players for the first time in Cincinnati instead of kids, instead of academy players. What are the difficulties and what are the differences associated with working with those two groups of individuals? I'd say the management is a big part of it. I'd say like the the kids, the academy players, they want to do everything uh, to reach that level. They want to do everything, sacrifice everything to become a, a professional player. I'd say at the professional level, you have to you have to manage different situations. Players are under contract; they have their own situation, like with their with their contracts, with their family, and you have to take that in consideration. Like uh, if you want to perform on a on on a, on a weekly basis. So like that management part, like the way you deliver the messages, the way you try to uh, get that connection with the player is quite different. I'd say you're more like a, a parental figure when you're at the academy, but when you're uh, when you're at that level, and that's what I said to that's what I said to the player. Uh, like I'm not the boss, I'm not above. Like we're colleagues, and we have like common goals. And my goal is to uh, create the best environment even as an assistant to create the best environment for the players to, to succeed and to achieve the, 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 the common goal. So I'd say there is definitely a, a stronger relationship that you need to create and, and you also need to, uh, to manage the way you deliver your messages. I think that's very important. Like you're dealing with, with people again that have their career, have their, li- have their life and have also their struggles at times. So I think it's, uh, it's that management part that, that is a big part of it. Like that, that is a big difference, I'd say. After working a couple of seasons with professional players in USL, including a really excellent 2018 season with FC Cincinnati in USL, the club makes the jump up to MLS in 2019 and you jump up with them. What things had to change for you as a coach with the club changing leagues from USL to MLS? I'd say it's, it's quite similar. I think things that have to change is like you get much more, uh, information like moving into MLS, like in terms of like the, 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 the camera angles, like the videos that you get, like you get much more information and better quality. And I've always like tried to pride myself in like being detail oriented. And, and for me, like, it's all about, like, giving detail, but also picking the right details that you want to, to give to the players. So I'd say you definitely have to, uh, the, 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 the move was definitely about, like, keep improving, like, on that, uh, on that side, like, being detail oriented, but picking the right details with the players, like, looking at into, uh, into the opposition. The big challenge also was that we were moving from, like, a season, a very successful season in USL to uh, an MLS season where we knew it was going to be, was going to be difficult. We were going to face like some challenges. So how, uh, how do we prepare to face this type of challenges? How do we anticipate this type of challenges? And, and, and on our side, we put a lot of work in to, to manage that. So that was the thing that we, we needed to be aware, uh, moving in the MLS. 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show. Apologies for interrupting Johan and uh, Joseph. I, I feel like I should make Joseph very formal because we've gone Johan, and I'm hoping that's the correct pronunciation. I'm following Joe's lead. Uh, that's a good lead to follow, generally speaking. Uh, but before we hear more from Joe and Johan, uh, I wanted to let you know that today's episode of MLS Assist is brought to you by Policy Genius. As an insurance marketplace, Policy Genius talks a lot about how unpredictable the future is. That's why insurance exists uh, in the first place. Uh, right now is obviously a very unpredictable and scary time. I appreciate Policy Genius for saying there's no graceful segue here, but Policy Genius is an insurance marketplace and there's a big demand for life insurance right now. So if you're looking to get life insurance, here's how they can help. The quick way of explaining it, Policy Genius compares quotes from top life insurance companies in one place. Uh, it takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. This doesn't just save you a lot of legwork. It obviously saves you uh, money. It saves you time. And it saves you, well, I guess that legwork as well. That can't be overrated because, you know. Who wants to walk around right now? Uh, once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape for free. They're in contact with life insurance companies every single day. They monitor developments. They keep you updated. They keep themselves updated so they have the best possible information. So uh, if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, but you're not sure where to start, head to PolicyGenius.com. Policy Genius will find you the best rate and handle the process completely. You can stop worrying about life insurance and get back to baking your own bread, adopting a furry friend, many dogs and cats out there, uh, or just being a kind and considerate human. Uh, that's a good note to end on. So thank you very much to Policy Genius. Now back to MLS Assist. You talked about it already just then. Last season, obviously very difficult finishing with 24 points. What went wrong? Do you guys feel like you had the roster to compete in MLS? Was it a lack of talent a little bit? Or was it all these other factors that come with moving leagues and having to adjust as a club? I think I think there is a, a lot of different answers to that question, and and I think we've done our work like internally in the club to to assess the situation. I think it's so easy to uh, to point at people or to point at situations or to point at the players and say we were lacking of this or that. Like I always said, it's like last year when I when I took the team, like I said, I think we have the the, the players to compete. I think like a mix of events and. And, and, and like you said, like that's the first season, like, you know, you, you know, it's going to be challenging. Like you can see all the, the expansion teams in the, in the past. Uh, we were not in the same category than, uh, than LAFC, than, than Atlanta. We knew, we knew that. So we knew that it was going to be, uh, there was going to be some, uh, some struggles. It was a, it was a tough, a tough season. But, uh, but like I said, I think what is important is to learn from it, uh, to reflect on it and also to be able to, uh, to criticize ourselves, and that's what we did internally. I think we uh, we learned our lesson, and, uh, and we're definitely more uh, more prepared for uh, for the future, and that's what matters. And in a way, though, because last season was tough for the club, and I'm sure for you personally, in a lot of ways, you still got your first opportunity to be a head coach, taking over for Alan Koch after he was fired. In your first game in charge, I seem to recall you guys playing some pretty nice soccer. Johan, what do you remember from that day and from that game and just the experience of being awarded that interim head coach tag last season? I'd say that day was quite special. Uh, playing against Montreal, like that was uh, that was a crazy week to be honest. Like that was that was very difficult. That was very difficult. We were like in a we were in a tough place and uh, it's never a situation you you, you want to be in and uh, and yeah we we prepared the best way possible we tried to make changes in uh, in 3 4 days of training that was very very quick very very short and uh, and we tried to uh, to implement uh, the start of uh, of of our of our playing uh, playing style and our uh, and our philosophy at the club so that day was quite special because yeah uh, 
I was very proud of the of the players in terms of the the way we played and uh, and and the intention of playing. And I think it was uh, it was very interesting that day to see that. And that's what I meant when I meant like we had players to compete on that day. Like we played some some very interesting football at times, and uh, and with the same with the same roster. So for me. That's a good memory that day for sure, but I knew the, the I knew the, the the challenges that were gonna be ahead of me and uh, and ahead of the team, and uh, and on the on the moment you don't really have time to to appreciate this uh, this little moment. Like you're more in the in the grind, trying to focus on the on the mid or long term uh, picture and and try to do the right things for the for the coming weeks. But uh, but that was definitely something special and experiencing. That first game and uh, and getting a result like for the fans and and on an individual note like again uh, against uh, against Montreal was uh, yeah was definitely something uh, something good for me. The philosophy that you just mentioned of the club, what is that, and what are the tactical principles that you personally like to see and that you want to see integrated with that philosophy in Cincinnati? I'd say I'd say the. Like we, we we decided to to create something uh, to create a club philosophy, a club vision. Like on the on the short, mid, and long term. Like we've also some some realistic target for us. Like based on on where we're at as a club and uh, and where we're at with with the team. So last year we decided to uh, to to start implementing that uh, that that playing style and 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 I'd say like. We want to be more possession based. Uh, the position is something like the word position is something very, uh, very important for us. Like we, we base, uh, our playing style a lot on the, on the positional play, how we want to be organized, how we want to be set up, uh, when we attack. I said defensively, we, uh, we haven't been quite where we want to be, but we definitely want to be more, uh, more proactive and, and, and like put more, more pressure on the, on the opponents uh and 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 defend forward so that that definitely things we we want to implement uh now the 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 biggest thing is how we want to do it so like how we want to be set up on on the build up like how do we want to be set up when we when we have to defend uh where do we want to be set up when we defend do we want to be set up high or in the middle block or in the low block i i think these are also like part of the game plan and and we have to come to an understanding of what are the the requirements things we want to have week in week out based on who we want to be and also like the game plan things we want to do like on that game because we have to face this type of opponents so there is a mix between both and i'd say like when you start implementing a playing style uh like when you've been like together or you've been having playing that style for for multiple years uh, I'd say you you focus more on that playing style, and that's probably 70, 80 percent of your game. Uh, but you, when you start implementing it, you also have to take in consideration your position and, and the game plan you want to have. So I'd say at the beginning you have to be more balanced in your uh, in your approach. So we have some strong ideas, but we know also with with a new roster it takes time to implement. Uh, so from from that idea that we want to be a bit more possession based that. Uh, the positioning and the positional play is something very important. We created uh, principles of play. We created also like different setup, different organization uh, to face different type of opposition based on again our principles. And 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 uh, on a daily basis, we uh, we try to work on that. So with this philosophy of play, is that the overarching governing principle that's establishing 
which players the club brings in and which players they try to sign to play that style? Or do the players sort of have to adjust how you guys play? So is the style of play based on the players or is the players based on the style of play? That, that's a very good question. And, and that ties into what I just said. So last year, mid-season, when you have to change the playing style or, or create a playing style that the club wants to, to implement on the, on the long term, you have to think about, okay, we want to implement that playing style based on the club's values, based on the, the, the belief of the people in the club. And, uh, and now the question is, like, do we have like, the, the perfect profiles to play that style? And I'd say at the beginning, like, you have to compromise because for sure to play like a certain way, you need to have certain profiles. Uh, and that's what I was speaking about when I, when I was explaining like, the different percentage. Like, do you focus more on the game plan based on your player or do you focus more on the playing style? So I'd say uh, we, we build that all together because for me and for us as a club, having that playing style, having that, that playing philosophy is going to need everything around. So the academy, like, uh, the academy was created last year, gives us also a good idea how we want to develop players, what type of profiles we want to have in our academy that can also make the jump in the future with the first team that ties into the recruitments. What type of profile based on how we want to play do we want to recruit? So we are, we are, we, we have to identify this profile, build the profiles in details, like on, on the different components, uh, of the players and, and to like make our recruitment based on, on, on these criteria. Uh, and then it ties into, into all the rest of the club. Like having this is like uh, a circle of uh, growth and, 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 and you hope success because Everything ties into like who you are as a club, who you are as a team, and everything. Everything is organized around that. So I think for us as a club, like it gives us also like some sorts of guidance. And I've always believed in in the fact that having an identity gives you so much because when things are going bad, it's easier to go back to who you are and be like, what do I need to improve? Uh, but when you don't know who you are, then like every struggles that you have make you ask question about should I change who I want to be? And, and that's not what we want to do. Like, I think we, we've started to implement some, uh, some, some clear ideas. I think slowly, like moving forward, like we want to adjust like a couple of different things. Uh, and, and like speaking about that, like I said, like all our playing style ties into the academy, into the recruitment. So we want to get better into, into that and progress toward that. Uh, and, and I think this is only possible if, uh, if we know who we, we, we are. You're talking about this club-wide philosophy of play, and a lot of teams around the world use those same terms. Johan, for you guys in Cincinnati, where does that philosophy come from? Who's responsible for developing that? Is it a meeting of minds between multiple people? Is it one person sitting down with a pen and a clipboard? Like, who's responsible for coming up with this broad philosophy? I, it's, it's difficult to say who's responsible. I'd say it was more like... We, we reached a point last year where we sat down, uh, myself, Gerard, with, with, with Jeff and, and discussed about like, Hey, like, what are the club values? Like, what do we believe in? Like, what do we want to be? And, and again, like my priority last year, like being in charge of, of the interim was to put the club first. And it's always been like, let's put the club first and like, who as a club? We, we want to be on the, on the long term that is going to define like everything we do around. Uh, so we, we, we had some discussion, uh, I'd say with, uh, 
with the, 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 the people in the club and, and, and try to, to challenge ourselves. Like, okay, is it what we want? Like, you know, are we sure? Uh, are we ready to implement that from day one? Do we need to like take a bit more time? Uh, so I'd say it was more like a discussion, like between different, different people. Of course, like, uh, I was the one on the field. So like, yeah, I'm the one like, giving some inputs on the, on the technical side, but, uh, but Gerard has a big input also like on, on like the sporting side, uh, and the, the sporting side overall. And Jeff has a, a bigger input on, on the club and, and the ownership group. Uh, so the idea was to mix all these ideas and, uh, and, and, and to, to make a decision that we were going to stick with. Uh, at the end of the day, like having a, a project uh, as a team or as a coach, it always, it always evolves with the time. Like it's not something that, that is fixed and that is never going to change. It's like having an idea. And then refining that idea like every week, every month, every season to get toward that, that goal that we have a, a, as a club. So last season when you and Gerard are sitting down at the table trying to hammer out this philosophy of play, if I'm understanding correctly, does that mean that there really wasn't as strict or as structured of a philosophy in place kind of before that moment last season when you guys did that? Or did you guys just decide that it was time to change that philosophy? I'd say it was time to uh, it was time to 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 change and to define something uh, to to define something and 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 to put on paper like what what we wanted to do. Uh, I think that was more more about that like uh, and and I think Gerard's been uh, has been very good like putting everything together and linking like all the departments of the club and and defining also. Uh, our mission and, 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 and the plan, like in the, in the project. So that was more like, how can we have like a clear idea, uh, a document and, and put our ideas on that document. And from there on, like start working and implementing, like I said, at every level of the club. Uh, so I'd say that was more that process and, and like it helped having, uh, having, uh, having Gerard like coming in and, uh, and Jeff was also involved in, uh, in the, in that process. Like he, he, he wanted to, to, to evolve as a club and, and to take a different direction. So I think all this together, uh, helped us to, to create, uh, to create that. Hey everyone, this is Taylor jumping in one last time, I promise, uh, to let you know that today's episode of MLS Assist is also brought to you in part by Podiumware. Uh, new sponsor alert, Sound the Klaxon. Podiumware is a custom team apparel manufacturer in Minnesota that is turning the world of soccer team kit ordering on its head. They provide custom designs and a full line of soccer apparel, all made to order in their St. Paul factory. In normal times, we would be talking about how great this process is and how your experience ordering uh, from them uh, for either your or your kids' uh, soccer teams will be made infinitely easier. But these are not normal times. We can stress that. We all know that. Uh, because of the COVID-19 crisis, Podiumware has started making uh, face masks for you to wear while you're out and about on the sideline of a soccer match or even during your workouts. Uh, you can buy one for yourself or customize masks for a team. Uh, a- expert uh, expert uh, advice here. If you are working out with a face mask, brush those teeth. Uh, I learned that the hard way. Uh, Podiumware is family-owned, friendly, and super easy to to work with. Their facilities are all based in the United States, so by supporting them, you're supporting American manufacturing jobs. If you would like to do that uh, or see what they have on offer, you can go to podiumware.com and get your custom masks today. Bookmark them for when you're ready for maybe your next soccer kit order somewhere down the line. Right now, that's podiumware.com. Check them out today. So then towards the end of last season, Cincinnati brought in Ron Jans, and you resumed your role as an assistant coach. 
What are the differences in demands between a head coach and an assistant coach? Tactically, in terms of how you prepare for games, in terms of your role in training. For you, what was your experience like moving back and forth between those two roles? I'd say, again, being honest, like when when you take in charge, like uh, the team as a, an interim head coach, you you have also to see the, the the big picture, which sometimes people don't see. It. You don't replace yourself in the staff, so that you you're a little bit like in the staff when when that happens. Uh, so you you're trying to you're trying to find a way to to make things work. So. You're still working as the as the interim head coach, but you're still working as the as the as the assistant coach. So it's still like a lot of uh, a lot of work. So I'd say transitioning like in, into a new role that was an old role uh, as as an assistant was like how can I how can I give feedback quickly to uh, to run about the situation, about uh, the complexity of the season, the complexity of the league. How can I give him information, but also like try to help him like in setting up the game plan, uh, in delivering training session. Uh, so we have to, I'd say like as, as an assistant coach, you need to understand to have an understanding of how your head coach wants to work. Uh, when you're the, the interim head coach, you have to like, that's your way of working. That's your methodology. And that's something also like we speak about the playing style, but, uh, we try to implement like, uh, the methodology of work uh, that is related to the club. So having Gary Walker like on the on the on the performance side helped that tremendously. Like he set up like an organization, like a way we wanted to work, like on a weekly basis. How we want to manage the workload, how we want to manage the player, uh, how to uh, to link uh, the tactical output and the physical output. So this discussion we had at the time. Uh, so so when you have to uh, to work with when I had to work with Ron uh, when he arrived, it was all about like explaining him the processes that we implemented uh, in the past three months. Uh, where was the team at? Where was the individual at? And try to give him a lot of feedback on the situation uh, and on the tactical side. And then it's getting to an understanding of how he wants to work and how he wants to use me as a as an assistant coach because that's also the reality of it that you have a, a new head coach that has been working uh, in football for many years that has been doing things in a certain way, uh, that you want to make it evolve, that, that you want to do differently that you used to do, or that you want to do it his own way, and then you need to create that understanding. And I think it took a bit of time last year to figure it out, but uh, but like there was always this discussion about, like, oh, okay, how can we do things and make it work better? And, and we get to a point where the workflow was very nice because you need to get to know people. And after a couple of weeks, couple of months, like it was like the workflow was, like I said, really, really good because we understood like everybody's role in the staff and responsibilities. And like you get to like the daily routine, how you do things. And unfortunately, those roles are going to be a little bit reset for you now that you're back as head coach for this team, at least in an interim basis. That does mean, however, that you are the youngest head coach in MLS and you hold the record for being the youngest person to ever coach a major league soccer game. Johan, do you take some pride in that? Do you feel added pressure associated with that? How does that that statistic and that fact that you first achieved back last season, how does that impact how you coach? How does that make you feel? I say this many times. I don't, I don't try myself in being the, the youngest. Uh, for, for me, the age is not uh, like... It's never been a question for the players. And, and I hope in the future, it's never going to be a question for the coaches. Uh, you can see it in Europe, like young coaches, like uh, uh, Nagelsmann, uh, doing a, a fantastic job. So I, I think the game is also evolving towards the, 
to work that. So I, I'd say the age is not is not for me what matters the most. It's more like uh, my my journey. I'd say I find more myself in like representing the the, the coaches that has took a different path than than playing professional and then and then uh, switching to 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 a coaching role. And uh, and uh, and I'm more happy about that because I think that 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 gives a good idea. Uh, that gives some good ideas to to the young coaches that that wants to 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 make it for a living. That wants to one day that coach at uh, at the highest level and uh, and and want to take that uh, that that role. So I'm just I'm just happy to probably and uh, and and I hope it. I hope to to give a bit of hope to 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 these coaches that that probably had the same struggle that that I had, uh, but but the age again no like it for me I I got that opportunity and you just have to make the most out of it so you have to you have to be ready you have to be who you are you have to be to stay yourself uh, stick to your principles and uh, and try like I said to put uh, the club's best interest first and 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 that's what I that's what I did that's what I keep doing and. Uh, and that's it. You mentioned Nagelsmann there. Who are coaches throughout your career that have influenced you, either because you've been playing under them or you like how their teams perform, or like we said with Nagelsmann, that you can sort of identify with, with their life and some of the same struggles that you've gone through. So who are these coaches that have actually influenced you in your career? It's a, it's a difficult question because I think like I try to be, uh, I try to be open-minded to, uh, to watch games and to, to see how the coaches are doing things. And I try to, I have my own convictions and I try to sometimes like uh, challenge myself, but by, by watching different things, I'd say I, I, I had coaches when I was younger that definitely influenced me, uh, to, to try to become a coach, uh, that for sure. So like when I was, uh, when I was 13 years old, like that, that's the time I, I got that coach that really gave me that, uh, that passion for, for the game. And like, when I decided to coach, like I wanted to be like him, I just wanted to give back to the young players and take care of them and, and, uh, and educate them and, and teach them the game. Uh, so I'd say it was a big influence for me, like taking, uh, taking that path. And I'd say more like you growing up, like you look, you look for the best, you look for uh, people like, uh, like Guardiola, you look for people like club for sure. Everybody would mention these names uh, nowadays. But it's more about how you can get uh, inspiration from other coaches like uh, Kike Setien before he was in Barcelona when he was in Betis. I uh, was doing a fantastic job with the team. So that's teams that you have to be aware of and, and try to, to learn from them. Uh, like I said, Nagelsmann is, is the, the, the youngest coach and, and probably like the most successful young coach in, uh, in, uh, in Europe and probably in the world right now. And, and, and uh, it's also a source of inspiration like in, in terms of how He's implementing his ideas and how he's been like uh, growing as a as a coach. So you try to look for different things, uh, different type of coaches. Like I, I try to to also look at the the, the French first division, uh, PSG, and what uh, what what Thomas Tuchel is uh, is bringing to the game over there. So it's more like how can you get like an open mind to look at different things, and at the end of the day, it doesn't change your beliefs. It, your beliefs, it's just like. Try to make you richer. Try to face different scenarios also in the game by watching like different type of of, of team, different time, different types of, of playing style. So I'd say you find that inspiration every day. Like I got the opportunity to discuss with uh, with Greg Berhalter recently, also with uh, uh, the assistant coach, the former assistant coach of the Canadian national team and their journeyman. Like there, there, there is a lot of different sources of inspiration. 
and and I think the discussing with coaches, discussing with colleagues is uh, is very rich. Uh, gives you gives you basically the experience without leaving it. Uh, just if you ask a good question and you listen carefully and and you process it your way, then you can you can get a lot of information coming from this discussion. Where do you want to grow as a coach, and how are you using this time that we all kind of have to continue that growth? I'd say. Uh, I spend a lot of time, like in the past years, like working on the on the tactical side, on the methodology side, uh, how to deliver messages on the field, like through through the training drills, through the training session, how to organize the week. Like it's been a, a lot of work in the past years, like on that aspects and and the tactical aspects. Uh, I'd say the tactical aspect is is still something that um like that's growing with the game like that's evolving with the game so you have to stay on top of it that's not something that you can leave on the side and just say okay i know everything and no it, it doesn't happen like that so that's something you have to stay on uh, on top of uh i'd say the thing that i've been trying to to spend a bit more time doing is is how can we uh on on the leadership and the management side how can we uh, simplify the complexity of the game for the players so that's the side that that I'm, I'm I'm working on right now is how can we simplify uh, the the complexity of the game because it is complex and you want to play and there is like scenarios you want to create a mental landscape for your players through the game model uh, you want them to understand the positioning of their teammates to understand the different patterns the different options on the board and 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 doing that is complicated because. Uh, because the game is complex, there is the ball, there is opposition, there is a, there is the teammate. So to create concepts that 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 are simple enough for the players to remember, uh, but represents well the the complexity of the game is uh, definitely like a, a big part of like what I'm looking at right now. And and also on the on the management side of the of the staff of the players, how can we like get into some some details? How can we uh, how can we grow that uh, that sense of belonging within the staff, within the within the team, within the club? All these these aspects are also a big part of the game that uh, that uh, that we shouldn't neglect. So uh, I'd say I spend I spend a bit of time on on that aspect right now, and and also keep watching games and keep like looking at at, at tactical evolution or tactical tactical organization and 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 learn from that. To close us out with this final question, you mentioned it briefly in that response players, right? You guys brought in 15 new players this offseason and had 10 players go out. I want to focus on just three of those three additions. Jurgen Lokadia, Yu Yakubo, and Siam De Jong. Can you give me sort of a brief scouting report on those three guys and tell us about how they'll fit into the kind of soccer that FC Cincinnati wants to play? But listen, uh, starting with uh, starting with uh, with Yuya, Yuya is, is bringing like, I think the, the three things about these this players, the the, yeah, the thing about these three players is, is that the three of them are bringing experiences. Uh, they are bringing their background, uh, playing in Europe, for some of them playing with the national team or the youth national team, uh, winning trophies uh, for, for, for some of them. Uh, so I think they definitely bring some, some experience to, 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 the, to the team in that, uh, in that regard. Uh, in terms of technical ability, same thing. These are players that... Uh, are good in the ball, like uh, good on the ball, like getting it, like able to get into into scoring position, able to create. Uh, so I tend to speak more about uh, about Yuya. He has that capacity to uh, to come in between the lines, can play out wide coming in, can stay in between the lines and 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 play more as a as an attacking midfielder underneath the striker. 
Uh, you have Sim that is also like a, a player that can play as a fourth nine, like into midfield, like in support of the center forward. He has also that uh, that scoring ability. And you have a guy like Jorgen that is able to uh, to link up on the plays, but also like to get in behind. Like he has this, this physical attributes that uh, allow him to be uh, to be powerful and strong. Like when uh, when he makes these, these runs, so. I'd say they bring something different uh, on on the offensive side, like bringing some some creativity, but also bringing like a lot of technical abilities, and and uh, and 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 we expect that to to reflect on on our game uh, in terms of, uh, of 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 the goal scoring, but also in terms of like making making uh, making assists, but also on the on the flip side, there are there are players that that puts the team first, so. Like when we think about players, when we recruit, we think about like, oh, our attacking player is going to make the difference in the final third. But, but the way we look at it based again on our playing side is can they make a difference also when we have to defend? Uh, that's a cheesy phrase to say, but the defense starts with your attacking players. And, uh, and you need to have guys that are working out up front. So having these three guys also that put the team first, that is definitely helping on the defensive aspect uh, as well. Uh, willing to, willing to press, willing to, uh, to to defend with the the framework that that we give them and uh, and and that makes the that that's gonna make the the difference we are uh, we're hoping for. Johan, we've covered a lot of ground today. Thank you so much for your time and for chatting with me and providing some excellent insight. I truly appreciate it. Thank you very much for the pleasure.